0: From the Desert Fortress of Java the Hutt, Jedi. to the Death Star of the Galactic Empire, to the Forest City of the Ewoks, this is the climactic chapter in the Star Wars saga, remember the Force, rejoice in the triumph, Return of the
1: Jedi, rated PG, now playing at a theater in your galaxy. Welcome back to Who's Filmography Is It Anyway, folks, where the points are just like original ideas. Uh, we are tackling The Force Awakens. Yes, Stephen and I are going through the Star Wars universe in chronological order. And here we have dawned, for better or worse, upon the sequel trilogy, My, how far we've come in such a few matter of uh, weeks. As always, I'm uh, your co-host and friend Josh Page and with me as always my co-host and friend Steve Molina
0: there has been an awakening have you <laughs> felt it this movie man
1: <laughs> I'm still trying to find the awakening man come on this so, movie
0: this movie we can actually discuss this time do you remember the first time <clears throat> you saw it
1: yeah all right I so this do is, this is we'll, we'll, we're bringing this back because this is now or it's for lolder older now and
0: well, I feel um, like this kind of story would be more would be interesting.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, I'll I'll go first. Um, so I was working. I got the job at uh at Postworks, at the job where Stephen and I met. For the folks at home, we were working in the city, and um, I had been working there for two months, and I guess tickets went on sale for this movie, and like it was the biggest thing. And in my mind, this was like the biggest event since like the end of Harry Potter. Like it had been years since like there was like a big event movie.
0: It was bigger than that.
1: But, but you know, but you catch my drift. Like this was like something like people were like getting tickets for early. Like this was like they were like lining up and like this was huge, right?
0: This was one of those movies where like if you didn't get tickets immediately, you weren't going to get tickets at all.
1: Right. Like this was so, and I think that's part of where, uh, and we'll save it obviously. But where ultimately, ultimately, um, disappointment comes is inevitable for a lot of people for the movie because of how big the hype was. But anyway, it was the biggest. It was a big comeback for Star Wars. So, <clears throat> my oldest friend. He and I, lifelong Star Wars fans. He got. He's like, he, as soon as tickets went on sale, he's like, tickets are on sale. I'm getting us tickets. He had like all these computers open, phones open. He like got them instantly, and um, and so we went. A uh, it was a Thursday night that we went. I guess it opened technically on a Friday, um, and I, I actually think I took off work the Friday, um, <laughs> so I had gone. We went Thursday night. And we lined up, and all I remember. I mean, I can remember the movie exactly, but I remember being on the edge of my seat and like almost like having tears in my eyes watch because I'm like, this feels like star Wars again or whatever it was in my mind. It felt like star Wars was, and we can definitely discuss in great length uh, what it was of those fabricated feelings of quote unquote, good star Wars coming back. And then we can talk about how we've come full circle with the sequel trilogy ending the way it has. But um, it was an, it was a really, truly an incredible event. Like we waited online, people were in costume and it was, it was amazing. So
0: yeah a lot like you. I like i I was put in charge of getting tickets for my friends and I uh, and I was like, I don't know when the tickets are gonna drop because they drop them after a trailer for a football game and that's I don't watch right. Fo- yeah, I don't watch football like I'm not watching it but so I ended up watching the game so I knew exactly when the tickets (laughs) dropped I couldn't get seven o'clock tickets so I got the 10 o'clock tickets much to my friend's chagrin but I remember going and like because it was the second showing we went into the IMAX theater and you could still like feel the like sweaty nerd like the nerd sweat just like in the air you know (laughs) everyone was just so hyped and I remember uh, I went to the forty, like the Times Square IMAX screen. That's pretty much the story. And then I went again the next day. A tradition that I would keep going for every Star Wars movie. Since. For better or worse. For better or worse. <laughs> but um, I-, I saw this movie six times at the theaters.
1: Yeah, that's big. I saw it three. <laughs> uh,
0: that's how it kept making the money. It made a hundred and fifty-eight million dollars opening weekend.
1: Uh, if you want to segue into the pre, into pre-production or whatever, to or to the movie notes yeah, itself, I mean, that's, those are big numbers.
0: That was the record for quite some time until Avengers Endgame beat it by like I think an extra hundred million. But <laughs> let's just
1: discuss this for a sec. So at the time it was twenty fifteen, and Avatar was the number one, number one movie,
0: not number one. In terms of opening weekend, but Avatar is number one just as the highest grossing. As the highest ever.
1: grossing, but 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 Star Wars was was catching up to that.
0: This I think it was movie, the number
1: two or three at the time, before Endgame. At the time of 2015, 2016, it was going into with the box office.
0: Um, I mean, I don't remember exactly where it falls, but... Yeah, now Avatar is back to being number one at the box office, though, because uh, there was a re release in China that pushed it up ahead of Endgame. So So disrespectful. I'm quite sure that they will re release Endgame one day and (laughs) get the numbers back. Get the numbers back. And my (laughs) guess is also, and I'm hoping this is true, that Avatar does get re released in theaters before Avatar 2 drops. Because I need a refresher. I've not watched that movie since theaters. I don't know about you, but I just no. remember that there's the Na'vi and they fucked with braids in their hair. And I don't know. Anyway.
1: I don't know, man. <laughs> Some weird stuff with braids. But anyway, but, but about Star Wars, you know, how about that thing? So
0: how about that thing? So let's go into oh. production. <laughs> and there's um, um, so clearly there's a lot to talk about with this. Because before we can even talk about the production of the movie, we have to talk about the big elephant in the room, which is Disney's acquisition of Lucasfilm. All right, so let's start
1: chronologically. 2010-ish, 2009 or 10-ish or whatever, they, so here, George, sold the Star Wars. All right, you know what? I'll just I'll go fuck myself. That's
0: fine. Bob Iger was with his children and grandchildren, and they were doing <laughs> a Star Wars movie marathon.
1: This is not true.
0: This is what Bob Iger said. So whether it is true or not, I can't really speak to it. Around a warm fire. Yeah, around a warm fire. And they were doing a marathon of the Star Wars movies. And he had this little light bulb go off on top of his head. It went, went ka-ching!
1: And money exploded. Money
0: just popped out of the light bulb. Money just popped out of a light bulb. When
1: they're like, Daddy, what are you doing?
0: Like, quiet, damn
1: it! I'm chasing
0: invisible money. So... Iger has the brilliant idea what if we were to just buy Star Wars like what if this thing happened so the negotiations started with George Lucas who was starting to look for a way out of Star Wars it's no secret that he was wounded by the reception of the prequels and he doubted whether he wanted to make more because I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said something along the lines of, why would you keep making more if if you keep getting ridiculed for what you make, you know?
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's true.
0: And he was, you know, he's an artist. He's hurt when people don't like what you make. Of course. Uh, Yeah. uh, I'm sure he's happy now because he's finally get the reverence he deserves after the sequel trilogy. Um, So in October of 2012, the... Announcement was made that Disney had officially bought Lucasfilm for $4 billion, which may sound like a lot, but you're buying Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And the biggest IP that has arguably ever existed. $4 billion is a steal. They made that money back real quick. Uh,
1: Oh my God, absolutely.
0: So, George... His final decision was to put Kathleen Kennedy in charge of Lucasfilm, which now for better or worse, that is what it, what was. is
1: Kathleen Kennedy's history? What was she, what had she done prior?
0: You read my mind. Uh, she had worked with Steven Spielberg a numerous amount of times. And I think George as well, they worked together on the Indiana Jones movies. In fact, her husband was the main producer on Indiana Jones uh kathleen kennedy also helped produce et uh lincoln I'm blanking on the other one jurassic park some of the biggest So she's been a
1: background played. player for like big movies namely like spielberg friendly movies
0: before star wars it was arguable she was like one of the most successful producers of all time i say successful monetarily like, like
1: she she helps equate money she helps get Studios, like, lots of... uh, Or, or I guess, productions, lots of of money.
0: Yeah, which is part of the reason why George put her in charge, because he felt she had a good blend of storytelling ability, and she knows how to turn that into money, which is exactly the kind of person Star Wars needs.
1: Now, I don't know if we want to save this conversation for the rise of skywalker episode <laughs> that we will unfortunately you know be doing but i think that ultimately there's going to be a question that begs is is where kathleen kennedy's placement is as as the showrunner of star wars and and how i think much was on her plate. this
0: conversation for rise of skywalker
1: good well we'll return to this and we'll we'll make this the because
0: point where, i we'll bring think it up 2015 twenty twelve to twenty fifteen Kathleen Kennedy and not just Kathleen Kennedy, but the state of Hollywood is very different than twenty nineteen Hollywood. Because I, I just feel like Marvel changed the game within that time frame. Well but... there's
1: basically you and I could say this for a whole like different kind of episode to talk about Disney and like the the capitalization of, of money and art and like creative plans with like expansive TV shows and movies. But but basically what Star Wars seems to be doing is following the Marvel formula in terms of like getting a big audience, uh, you know, with, with giant movies and kind of shrinking down like expansive ideas through Disney plus I, to create this multi-layered theme, but they're just not clearly not doing it as well. because here's the thing.
0: I, I, what I was kind of alluding to is that in 2015 when you were being told there's an episode seven in Kathleen Kennedy's Mm -hmm. mind and in the audience's mind you know you're asking for a sequel okay like you just want a run-in-the-mill good sequel to a movie the problem is between 2015 and 2019 with Marvel we changed the idea of what a sequel Mm -hmm. was it's no longer just a continuation of the story we want an expanded universe and Kathleen Kennedy i think i believe had a hard time grasping expanded universe versus sequel
1: that's a great concept that's a the entire notion of the of a movie universe has completely transformed and like you're saying like thanks that's to marvel like that's marvel a huge
0: changed ex- Marvel changed what a sequel is. It's no longer right. just a continuation of one story. It's a continuation of everything going and, on in the
1: world. And now you can have characters and other movies all coming together and like crossing over. And then you can have shows that expand even further based on just one movie alone. And yeah.
0: And Disney and, Plus just like blew that up. And I think Disney Plus is what ultimately gave Kathleen Kennedy her light bulb. And it's like, oh, I understand what we are doing now. She just because, understood it too late. Yeah. Because if you look at The Mandalorian and ultimately what they're doing with The Clone Wars and Bad Batch and all these um, expanded TV shows, I think it's finally clicking. This is a universe. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, it's a universe. A universe. A universe. Um, so <laughs> immediately upon announcing that Disney had bought the franchise sold... It was announced that there would be a episode seven coming out in May of 2015, which did not happen. Obviously uh, they approached a numerous people to direct much as we have discussed in the past, they approached uh Neil Blomkamp, which I'm happy that did not happen given the last couple of clunkers he's made. Um,
1: well, his blomkamp's got the good gritty style for like a pulpy sci-fi whatever despite his movies i just think he's a not a good choice for star wars
0: yeah they approached matthew vaughn uh who did the x-men movies Kingsman. uh they approached david fincher which would have been wild (laughs) it would have been about a serial killer in space that would be oh
1: man i would love to see that
0: (laughs) they approached brad bird who went on to make Tomorrowland instead? Which he he actually could
1: call. have been mm, well. He actually could have been an uh, interesting choice considering The Incredibles and Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. He's actually a, he's good at doing big action. But anyway,
0: yeah. well, he got to he literally turned them down to make Tomorrowland. That's how it happened, which is why I'm saying uh, I actually like Tomorrowland more than most people. But I
1: didn't see it. I just heard it was a flop.
0: It didn't make a lot of money. They also approached John Favreau who was making Jungle Book at the time, and was like, are you crazy? Like, I'm working on this um, beautiful new technology that you're going to use in the future, Disney. And ultimately, J.J. Abrams was chosen with maybe the help of Steven Spielberg. uh, (laughs) Because like we said, Kathleen Kennedy is close with uh, Spielberg, and Spielberg knows J.J. But the search took a lot longer than they thought, to get a director for this movie because, believe it or not, people didn't want the responsibility of bringing Star Wars back. That's, like, a lot of responsibility. And I'll give J.J. credit there. He does have balls in that regard. Um,
1: he but, even said, I don't know what the quiz, is, but J.J. even said, he was, like, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something early on, like, I didn't want to do the project because I didn't want to screw it up. Like, I'm such a big Star Wars fan that I didn't want to ruin it. And, like, he, that's... He turned
0: it down at first. Right. Um, um it took so long to get them that JJ asked Kathleen Kennedy and Bob Iger, like, can we please push this back to May of 2016? And Bob Iger said, No, no fucking way. Absolutely like, not. I told them 2015 and 2015 is what we are giving them. We need to start recouping money. So they pushed it back to December. Which it was a bold move, given that no movie prior to this had made over hundred million dollars in December. Prior to J.J. working on it, they also had Will Arndt as the screenwriter. Ultimately, he was let go because he wanted 18 months to work on the script. And oh, Bob Iger walked into his office and it was almost like a Muppet sketch. How long do you need <laughs> 18 months. Good, you have four weeks. Um... <laughs> But his main point was kept, uh, he has a quote, every time Luke came in and, and, and entered the movie, he just took it over. Suddenly you didn't care about the main characters anymore. So they kept that central to the movie. Luke was going to be a MacGuffin, keep him away. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan, who worked on other Star Wars movies in Indiana Jones, we've discussed him before, he came, they came in to do the screenplay duties JJ said in an interview that they were, like, pretty reckless with the the script at first. Like, they were literally talking about ideas in, like, a diner somewhere, just, like, in L.A., talking and chilling in a diner, openly talking about, yeah, well, if Ray does this, then Finn has to, you know. (laughs) Uh, They got the first draft done in six weeks, which is more to Bobby Iger's liking. That's how you get it done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, and they ultimately got it done. Obviously, uh, casting was finalized three weeks before the new re- before the uh, cast release was announced. Uh, they went with a couple unknowns, mainly Daisy Ridley. John Boyega was like an attack the block, but he wasn't that big. He, w- he wasn't, yeah. Uh, Daisy Ridley apparently blew everyone away with her audition. Her, the scene that she did was the interrogation scene and she just like blew everyone's uh, socks off the audition tape is actually on the blu-ray for The Force Awakens and, it, and I guarantee it's on YouTube if you want to look it up one day mm-hmm. uh, they also chose Adam Driver because Kathleen Kennedy worked on Lincoln with him so, and J.J. Abrams actually loved girls so he was like okay wow. cool So it's amazing how girls somehow got Adam Driver the part. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, In April 2014, there was a cast reading in London, and that was right before filming. Now, for filming, what a twist here. They decided to go back to film. They shot it on 35 and 65 millimeter.
1: Uh, It shows. Yeah. It shows. It's big
0: i mean that's one thing that we can talk about now the use of practical and practical sets and puppetry really work
1: um i know i don't remember when we had last mentioned it when we talked about i know over the episodes we talked about how in attack of the clones they went digital and cgi started to really take over um and then we went to the original trilogy and I oh I remember we it was Return of the Jedi we talked about how like they were scenes with CGI and I'm like oh I just love it. not the cantina it was Jabba's Jabba's uh that like was. Jabba's palace or whatever with the puppets and um saying how the CGI is so like much more it's so noticeably distracting um so with The Force Awakens the puppets and the animatronics and the look of film like the just the visual look alone it doesn't just look like Star Wars like it just it just it feels like and i was just like real nerd talk it's like classic film look like we just i just love it i just i don't know there's something so authentic about the look
0: i'm not saying that this is a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination i am just saying that the blend of cg and the blend of practical is like at a perfect phenomenal yeah
1: phenomenal you never you never get those um um, you know, uh, CGI Jabba, or you never get those like jarring, like here's some just like very obvious, like it looks like CGI was just tacked Google onto the screen.
0: Coming out and singing a song. They, in they're of the re- Jedi.
1: Oh, Jesus Christ! But they really did a good job with the blend. I agree. I completely agree. I think there are so many aspects of this movie, and we we'll, we always tease final discussion early, but it's like so many aspects of this movie are are you have to applaud because of what they they got right in terms of just visuals and and looks and aesthetic and but we'll yeah. get there and the
0: pushing of technology because something is like like bb 8 i remember watching star wars celebration in 2015 uh, or yep. 14 whenever it was and bb8 literally rolled out on stage and my mouth dropped i was it's like, so cool how the fuck did you build this
1: i love it it's i mean it's it's phenomenal absolutely phenomenal so
0: yeah uh they filmed in pinewood studios they went back there they filmed Jakku in Dubai, which is actually where filming began, and Skellig Michael Island, which is is to Now, that was actually the hardest place to film because, one, it's a small island, but, two, they had to work very closely with the Irish government because it has a self-sustaining ecosystem on that island, and they are very, like, don't fuck this place up. <laughs> so yeah um john williams came back to compose the music
1: he received his 50th oscar nom for scoring this movie
0: and it's pretty good the score he, yeah he said he came in to score it because he loved daisy ridley and afterward he said he would come back because he didn't want anyone else to write music for daisy ridley which is weird but okay no,
1: it's good it, it, it's yeah, yeah, yeah
0: sweet or estranged whatever however you want to perceive it yeah <laughs> And then again, this is the last kind of note I have, but this this is where we get into some tricky water here. Bob Iger later confirmed that George Lucas was kind of hurt by this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. The quote is, because if you read uh, George, uh, sorry, Bob Iger's autobiography, he writes this quote: George was uh, George immediately got upset as they began to describe the plot. And it dawned on him that he that we weren't using one of the stories he submitted during the negotiations. Now, I, I, I mm. t- we got to go back to the negotiation board here. Part of the deal was that Disney bought the treatments and kind of rough drafts for the Star Wars sequels that George had been working on, and Bob Iger. Kind of like obfuscates on this, but he kind of led George to believe that they were going to use his stories.
1: Oh, of course, if it's a way to, to seal to, the deal here. Yeah, it's it's kind of I don't know, I don't know, I don't know enough of the details, but that sounds like a business move. It just sounds like someone, you know, not conning, but like you know, stretching the truth maybe in order to try and Josh, like you said, seal
0: it. It was from a certain point of view. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know from a certain point of
0: view i thought so what i told you was that's what bob Iger did we came to visit george and he said so what i told you we made sequels so what i told you was true from a certain point of view from a
1: certain point of view i would love to see a conversation that them <laughs> across yeah. the table george flipping out um so- but to your point real quick is that i i don't know if we want to save this for again for like a rise of skywalker or should i just say post Star Wars sequel um discussion, sequel trilogy discussion, because it's like there are so many I feel like there are so many roads that we can take in terms of 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 discussing like the potential for what all this could have been. Let's talk about uh, based on the fact that they aren't using original ideas.
0: Let's talk about George's visions now, because I don't think that we should bring him up in The Rise of Skywalker. So it's vague as to what the story was ultimately going to be for the sequels, but from the rumblings that George has made, it seems like Luke and Leia were going to have children. Uh, sorry, Luke and Han were going to have children. Luke was going to be like off on a planet somewhere, so they did actually keep that. Like Luke was going to be hidden away on a planet somewhere, but he was going to be delving deep into midi chlorians and a user of the force was going to find him and they were going to go deeper into the midi-chlorian uh, web. That's about all I know. If you know more, you know, please share, but.
1: Um, so I do, I remember reading this when it came out, but basically George had this account, apparently a mapped out idea for a sequel trilogy, but really he had focused like notes on episode seven and he, was, he definitely wanted a female centric character uh in the original outline it was a 14 year old girl named Taryn uh Ty- I don't know T-A-R-Y-N um anyway but this was supposed to, this was the kind of the character that would have kind of been um the placeholder for what would have become Ray. so I know that they were kind of like um they were definitely gonna they definitely wanted like to focus on a, a young woman now I don't know if it was you know, it's supposed to be Luke Skywalker's daughter, whoever it was. Midi-Chlorians were big, as you had mentioned. Um, let's see, yeah, there's a lot. Actually, there's a whole article I'll, I can, you know, you can look up. But basically,
0: yeah, George so, had
1: all these ideas, and it sounded like they had certain ideas, and they took basically like like the bones of like the scripts that George had, and they kind of like did their own thing with it.
0: Yeah, it's so from my here's, understanding. Here, here's the. Rip the the hard conversation while george's ideas sound very original it's also a matter of like do i really want to see that like
1: well i think that the biggest debate is like cuz as we know and as we'll discuss like the events of the sequel trilogy have made fan, a lot of fans extremely bitter and a lot of people now praising the prequel trilogy even more like oh well we if george had done it it would have been better but like really from judging the prequels like would it have really been better because if george's george's ideas may have been original like you're saying but it's like the prequels are such a mixed bag you know what i mean
0: yeah and the dialogue was kind of clunky enough in the prequels Mm -hmm. and i just don't know how talking about deep Midi was gonna be like any less clunky or less confusing. I, I, it's just like I don't know. Either way, they didn't end up using a lot of his ideas and he mm-hmm. felt hurt by it. And it's kind of an open secret, thanks to James Cameron, <laughs> that George did not particularly care for The Force Awakens, right? So, you know. It's all kind of history at this point.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like what could have been, but... Um, he, does his,
0: will... he does his uh obligation, you know? Contractually, yeah. I think he has to go to every Star Wars set. Yeah. Uh, just like contractually, again, I, I have no verification of either one of these, but I, I think contractually, like Disney cannot re-release the original cuts of Star Wars. So, <laughs> you know, they're payles for $4 billion. I also wanted to make one more note that George Lucas gave the $4 billion away. He didn't even keep it. He, oh, that's nice. Yeah, he gave it all away to charity.
1: Oh, what a, what a kind man.
0: Which is just like kind of crazy, but he you know, sold
1: it just to give his money away. I mean, I guess it's he's basically if you look at it that way, Star Wars was sold uh, for profits, I guess, or sold for charitable profits, I guess.
0: Well, George has never been like a greedy person i don't think money has always been what it's about yeah he's never it, seemed like it so yeah. i mean he was always like weary and on top of budgets budgets always like freaked him out don't get me wrong well i, but, I think yeah but i think I don't this comes think that uh you know four billion dollars it's he's walking the walk where a lot of people say like what do you need a billion dollars for i think george was like yeah what do you need a billion dollars for like what am i gonna get for a billion dollars that I can't do for a hundred million dollars, which I already have in my bank account. I think a
1: lot of the deal comes back to our discussion about George uh, in our episode, talking about him, his like early works and him being like the ambitious, like artsy kind of like nerd filmmaker that is kind of just like going for what he sees as a good story. Like in the end, it's like, he really just wants to tell the story. He'd almost in profits. And the money didn't really seem to like get to his head at all. That's the
0: whole other part of the conversation too. Like, At the end of the day, he's just like a beatnik hippie, you know? Yeah. Anyway, are you ready? Have you felt
1: it? I hope so.
0: A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Luke Skywalker has vanished. In his absence, the sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, has been destroyed. With the support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother, Luke, and gain his help in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts.
1: Um, before I take it, take it away from there, <clears throat> I just want to make a note about the crawl. It's very uh, it's interesting how straightforward it is and how it seems to just kind of rope people in based on what they know. Like it's like General Leia Organa, her brother Luke. Like it's her daring pilot, no name, and it's kind of like making you think it's going to be about these characters.
0: <laughs> yeah, De Palma didn't write this one, but nope. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a pretty good opening line. Luke Skywalker has vanished. Pretty good, but that I just want to make a note of that. Okay, look here, Luke Skywalker has vanished. JJ and Kazden wrote that line. Okay, to all those people out there who get pissed off at the last Jedi, like Ryan Johnson didn't make Luke Skywalker vanish. Oh, he was always the plan. He was that like he vanished. Okay, we, we, it's right <coughs> here. So don't be putting that shit on Ryan Johnson, you haters.
1: I like how this, is, this whole podcast has been building towards uh, a Last Jedi um, uh, debacle. Or not debacle. <laughs> you and I versus the world kind of debacle, but that's going to be great. Um, okay. Um, we pan down to the planet of Jakku. Yeah. Because
0: like, well, like, we couldn't go back to Tatooine. That would just be too obvious.
1: I like the idea of, of deconstructing this breakdown, but with just a new hope references. All right. We pan down to the planet of Jakku. Like Bruce the shark, the first order ship looms over the planet. Great Spielberg reference. That's wonderful. They uh, they launch a platoon of stormtroopers down. Just the visuals in this movie alone, like I we said earlier, phenomenal from from top to bottom. And we'll get into I'll get into more of that later. But they launch a platoon of stormtroopers down in this uh, in a small village on Jakku. Poe Dameron, Oscar Isaac meets with uh, Loris Sente- uh Senteca. Yep. Uh, the late Max von Sydow. I, uh,
0: I don't really want to dwell on it too much in Canon Corner, so I'll just give a little like update on who Lor Sentech is. He was like a force worshipper. like He was a devout of the Jedi. And after the Empire fell, he, kind of, he joined Luke Skywalker on a lot of missions to recover Jedi artifacts around the galaxy. So that's just where I wanted to end it. They, there is like a connection between them. No, and it's Ben Solo did join
1: no, Luke yeah. and
0: Lors on some missions, which is why they knew each other. Well,
1: anyway. it's yeah. I mean, part of what we didn't talk about with J.J. Abrams is his his uh, his whole style of writing is, is or directing and, and storytelling is, is is to shroud his stories in mystery. So when this character showed up, I remember watching and he's like, um, I don't even. I, I didn't. I don't know if you. I'm ahead, getting ahead of myself. That he says love, the line. He says that he says a line. You cannot escape your family or whatever it is. Yeah. And I remember like being something in the theater and being like,
0: happened to you?"
1: Right. And I love. I love cryptic dialogue because I love an ambi- ambiguity and being like, "Oh, there's something more here," and I don't know what that is. And, and ultimately, no one really knew what it was. But and ultimately, it didn't mean much once you watch the whole thing. But anyway,
0: yeah.
1: I do love the the mystery. of I it. Mean, I knew. I like you know anyway so that's good that's good a bit of a, a good easter egg uh, knowledge there um Lore's hands po cryptic uh object saying uh this will begin to make things right Which, bb crashes uh, let's
0: ca- like that's kind of a fuck you to george you know like this will begin to make things right like you're basically saying the prequels fuck shit up and like didn't even we're think about that good things right <laughs> like That's the first line of the whole movie. So
1: disrespectful. Anyway. I didn't even think about that, that that's the first bit of dialogue. (laughs)
0: Like, fuck you, George.
1: (laughs) I'm picturing George watching this in the theater and be like, this will make things right. And George being like, assholes.
0: Well, (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's no secret that uh, Kazdin didn't come, like, did not come back for the prequels and was not a fan of the prequels. Well... And yeah. It's not a secret that JJ surrounds himself with people who are not fans of the prequels. Well, like we and, will get and, to him later, but why am I blanking? Simon Pegg is like an open prequel hater.
1: Well, so, and while and while we're at it, apparently uh, when they in- when they introduce Ray or they have her walking through the desert, I don't know if they shot it, but they toyed around the idea of having a Jar Jar Binks like skull, like. Of in the background to show like, hey, this character's dead. He's no longer thinking. thing. I'm like, I'm like, why do we need to do this? Like, you don't yeah. just, you can't just, don't just pretend it didn't exist.
0: Dude, they did a lot of crazy stuff. One of the, one of the original ideas, and this made it further than it ever should have, was that the movie opens with Luke Skywalker's <laughs> severed hand holding the lightsaber from a, from a, what's it called? Empire Strikes Back. Like, like crash lands on a planet somewhere and Maz Ganada like finds the lightsaber like oh man crazy it's, shit I do love
1: the crazy what ifs but none, nonetheless we have what we have and we'll get to the good and the bad BB-8 crashes into the room and warns his master that the first order is coming the, the bells are rung The village prepares and Poe runs to his X-Wing, which is quickly destroyed. Poe, in a desperate attempt, hands over his device to BB-8, telling him to run. Attention is shifted to a stormtrooper who is panicking over the slaughter that he is witnessing. This is quickly overtaken by the arrival of Kylo Ren, Adam Driver. Loris and Kylo spar verbally. Kylo wants the map to Luke Skywalker. Loris tries to remind Kylo who he once was, but is cut down, like we were saying. Um, Poe shoots at Kylo... I remember
0: watching that, and I was like, what was the point of getting Max von Sido? And i don't i
1: don't like i'm glad he's i I love the man i'm I'm sad he's gone i'm glad he was in this but i don't i really yeah i don't know he's only in this one
0: that it was just like i remember it was a big like they made a big deal that he was like in the movie he was at the uh that famous like script reading in london he was like touted as being big and then he dies within the first like two to five minutes of the movie and i'm like oh okay like i don't know if it's just to pass the, the
1: baton like to prove like hey here's a big actor but like almost like a maybe an alec guinness type like a well-respected older actor like i don't really know here's but being
0: the conqueror like i don't i don't get it
1: <laughs> and <laughs> i love i i of, but it's just I, it's I strange because even with that history too. you said it's, it's like
0: weird i'm like why like you literally it's a... played by anyone <laughs> what well it's it's i
1: guess it's i guess it's kind of exposition because it's i don't know but it's um but nevertheless um poe shoots at kylo but through the uh force the the bolt is held in the air i want to make a quick note there were a lot of moments watching the theater that i saw a lot of firsts and i'm sure you felt the same way we're like Amazing to see them do just new things with the Force, uh, with the character and the act and the storytelling. Like, we had never seen Star Wars to this degree before. And I remember that moment where they're holding the bolt in the air, and I was like, oh, like, we've never seen anything like that. And uh, this would only be the beginning of stuff like that for better and worse. Once we get the Force healing, that's a whole different bag.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, like, there are limits within the Force that I think should be upheld, but like, being able to catch a bullet midway seems logical. Of course. Where when you get to force healing, it's kind of like... <sighs> <laughs> no, We've gone from clunky dialogue to clunky
1: plot devices. Um, but we'll get there in two... Unfortunately, we'll get there in a couple weeks. Um, Poe is rounded up and Captain Phasma gets to kill all the villagers. Um, I should make a once... note
0: that Captain Phasma is played by Gwendolyn Christie. And when I say played That's by, right. I mean wasted... By Disney in this movie by Gwendolyn Christie because oh, she's she such a talented she argue, individual she, and like, she, she arguably she gets nothing.
1: it. She arguably gets it worse than anyone in this whole tri- this whole trilogy. This
0: the only trilogy. other person who got it worse than her was Boba Fett, and he's coming back. So, but
1: Boba Fett was like he got a cult following after the fact. Where they, I think they tried to do the same thing with Phasma, and it just doesn't work.
0: The thing about it was, was uh, Gwendolyn Christie when they filmed this movie was really like no one. And then when the movie was coming out, Game of Thrones just like blew up. And she was a favorite. And Disney was like, oh, we gave her a cool ass costume. So like, why don't we make her this badass? And then she ended up not being a badass at all. She gave away the codes real quick. We'll get to that later. It's, but oh, <laughs> but man. she gave those codes away real quick.
1: Uh, it's like that rapper with the tattoo I don't know if you've seen the memes, the guy with the tattoos and and he like, he like ratted everyone out. It was, it was, a fa- it's like a famous, like it's a meme based on like a famous court case on the rapper uh, 69, he has 69 all over it. Anyway, but he like, he like sold out everyone when he was like, he's like, who were you working with? Told them immediately. So it's, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anywho, um, so Captain Fassman gives the order to kill the villagers. Noticeably one stormtrooper does not shoot. Back on the Star Destroyer, the stormtrooper FN-2187, John Boyega, removes his helmet without orders. Quickly, he is reprimanded by Phasma. It's a lot, not a lot to unpack, but there's a lot going on, and it's a—it's—I a, think it's a good opening. It's a good, cuts right into the action.
0: Yeah. Hard cut to Rey, Daisy Ridley, scavenging the remains of a Star Destroyer embedded on the planet of Jakku. As she rides into the town, the remains of the last battle of the Galactic Civil War are strewn throughout the, the planet, We'll get to it later, but Jakku is literally where the last battle of the Galactic Civil War took place. Uh, cleaning the scraps, she looks at an old woman to ponder mm. her future. Unker Plot, Simon Pegg, offers Rey one quarter portion for her day's work. Pissed, she agrees. In her ATAT, Ray hears portion. the cries of a droid in the distance. Ray saves BB-8 from another scavenger, Tito, which was another like cool... Character design. Rey's I love gen- it. Yeah. Ray's gentility is shown as she fixes BB 8's antenna. She points BB in the direction of town, but is quickly guilted into taking responsibility over the droid. Overhead, Poe's torture <clears throat> at the hands of Kylo Ren continues. The information is finally extracted, and General Huck's Dom- Dom- Hill Gleason, I don't I Dominal. Dominal? Yeah. I always feel bad because he like, I mean, he jokes about it on some shows that no one can pronounce his name right, but I'm on to those people. Uh, Anyway, General Hux is tasked with finding the droid. It's funny, like in this movie. But Kylo and General Hux have like a very sibling rivalry kind of thing going on. Yeah. And there was even like mention of clones in the scene and it was just kind of like, upon reflection, it was like slapping you in the face with, References, but you know, um, in town, Unker offers sixty portions for pv 8 Ray rebukes the offer. FN-2187 pulls Poe out of her, out of his cell for a rescue mission because it is the right thing to do, and he needs a pilot. He doesn't know how to fly. The unlikely pair uh, commandeer a TIE fighter while while clearing the destroyer's cannons. Poe renames the trooper Finn. Much to Finn's chagrin, Poe flies down to Jakku. Just then, the tie is shot down. When Finn wakes up, he is alone in the wreckage. Where did Poe go?
1: Aren't we all alone (laughs) in the wreckage? Um,
0: (laughs) Thank you, you, Mr. Herzog.
1: Aren't we all alone in the (laughs) wreckage? Finn, st- Finn stumbles into the, the into the village of Jakku while drinking disgusting water.
0: Yeah, that was really <laughs> to
1: gross. say the least. I, again, I like that. That thing had to be had to be a puppet, right? I don't know. I uh,
0: I don't the remember. big pig
1: thing. No, I don't no, know. No. It, lo- it looks good. Anyway, so it's either way. The water is disgusting. While drinking disgusting water, Finn sees Rey being attacked. He runs to help, but she is holding her own. BB-8 notices Rey into submission. From a certain point of view, Finn tells his story of escaping, followed by a flat-out lie that he is part of the Resistance. The Imperials have arrived, and it is time to fly. The gang uh, load the gang loads into a into a garbage ship. <laughs> they refer to a garbage ship, the Millennium Falcon.
0: That one's um, garbage. With I remember Rey... being in the theater and people erupting. People, the Millennium oh, Falcon yeah. was revealed.
1: Part of this and all these kind of little trinkets to the past that kind of keep showing up in little surprises and it's it's full of just these moments. Um, this whole scene is, it, I, I love this whole scene. Um, with Ray at the helm, uh, the tie destroyed. The jubilation is quickly uh, quelled as the Falcon is caught in a tractor beam. Han Solo, Harrison Ford, and Chewbacca, the late Peter Mayhew, uh, enter. We... we're home. They quickly find the stowaways. Ray is exuberant to hear that she is standing before Han Solo. Uh, real quick, the line when she says, uh, you're the Han Solo, and he says, I used to be. Apparently, Harrison Ford would... That's a real life. Common thing that... That's
0: such a thing Harrison Ford would say.
1: And he's like, no, I used to be. Used to so be. apparently...
0: That's
1: <laughs> so they, they ended up just... They, they used a real thing he said they put into the movie. I love that. I'll give um,
0: Harrison Ford a there's... lot of credit for this movie. I think that this movie revitalized his love for Star Wars. I'm like, yes, he will never, like, be, like, a nerd about it. He's never going to be like, yeah, I know what a force ghost is. But I think that he, It's no, it's not really a secret. He did not have fun doing return of the jedi he didn't want to come back for this one they offered him some pretty big cash and but i think he had a lot of fun doing this even though he broke his leg but you know it's interesting that you say that that. it's
1: it it revital that you feel like it revitalized his love for star wars because that's how it how it feels um yeah i mean when there's there are points notably towards um the end of the movie um when they're i don't know when maz's area is attacked um, and he's hobbling around, and he really like it. Just looks, it's like a couple beats away from being like an old man with a cane. Um, but it's it's interesting that you said he you feel like it's uh, revitalized Harrison's love for Star Wars because like it feels really trying. Um,
0: yeah, well, that's my point. and I think for the he most does part, feel it works. like he's trying, and some you know it, he's the kind of guy where he'll phone it in if he doesn't give a shit. So.
1: Right. Um, exactly, and it does feel like, and like you said, they came a lot of cash. But anyway, yeah, I um,
0: don't
1: think he, without right, this so...
0: a good experience on this one, he would not have come back for episode nine, which we can debate about when we get to ryan yeah. Skywalker. There is little
1: time to take in everything going on as the gang Han owes money to boards his ship. The conversation goes by the wayside as BB-8 is recognized as. Uh, what is it the rat
0: the rathtars
1: yeah and the and uh, the Tars are set loose uh pandemonium gives way as the gang safely are are, are flying away on the falcon
0: i don't know I, the scene was just like a lot i'm like um it felt like a guardians of the galaxy scene
1: to it, me. Uh, that's a great comparison this is um the this is some of the we were talking about cgi and like the blend of cgi this is one of the only times cgi feels like it's like a lot like it feels yeah. like these these creatures felt like it was a it was a cool design. It wasn't like it wasn't that shoddy, but it definitely felt noticeably CGI, and it was very the pacing of it, like a big chase scene with a monster like this. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is a great comparison.
0: Yeah,
1: pandemonium gives way as the gang safely flies away on the falcon. On Star Killer Base, a giant hologram of Supreme Leader Snoke, Andy Serkis, authorizes Hux to use this new super weapon. It is granted. Um, I just
0: want to note here, Snoke yeah. like says a lot with a little in these scenes because yeah you're dealing with a man who calls himself supreme leader which already is like narcissistic (laughs) enough like emperor is not even good enough like supreme leader and then he has a like 20 30 foot projection of himself like this guy has an ego on him anyway
1: (laughs) well part of the problem with this m- movie is they feel like they were just taking the original ideas like how can we make it bigger and badder and, like how can we make the bad guys even more bad and how can we make like the deaths like it was you know uh,
0: yeah well this is not why that i um this is this goes into the last jedi here but i feel like part of ryan johnson's argument for why he killed snoke is like You can't get more interesting than the Emperor, because the Emperor had six movies to build up his, like, evil, dastardly deeds. Where Snoke, it's like, you met him one movie ago, he had two minutes of screen time, literally. So, like, what's interesting about him? What's the point? What's more interesting is Kylo Ren becoming the villain, but
1: um yeah i yeah as you know i agree we're gonna have a lot to say about that and a lot that people will not uh be with but i i completely agree but yes that will be for next week but yeah the ego on snoke 30 foot projection (laughs) this guy's got an ego man so that's a good point that's (laughs) um snoke's real fears stem from the force at work there has been an awakening have you felt it there's something more. The droid we seek is aboard the Millennium Falcon at the hands of your father, Han Solo. Very interesting that they just drop that twist right there.
0: I feel like it was not really a twist. It was like a mix of like a it was like a half-twist because in the beginning it's kind of heavily alluded to that he comes from like nobility or like from a lineage that is prominent. Yes. Because Lorison Techka notes it. It's just like this is the final confirmation so it's me, it um it's like good that they,
1: they they did it here though
0: yeah
1: right and it's it's good that they dropped it at this point and not like didn't just build it towards the end where like oh he's han solo's kid like it almost would have felt like kind of cheap saving it for like a final act so it's interesting that they know exactly it it's
0: kind of just like okay cool let's move on after everything is calm on the falcon han takes a look at the map this map's not complete it's just a piece Ever since Luke disappeared, people have been looking for him. Why did he leave? He was training a new generation of Jedi. One boy, an apprentice turned against him, and destroyed it all. Luke felt responsible. He just walked away from everything. Again, guys, JJ set this up.
1: Okay. Leave <laughs> Brian uh, alone.
0: Leave Brian alone. Ray is excited to hear that the Jedi actually do exist. Han confirms. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo. A magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. The crazy thing is, it's true. The Force, the Jedi, all of it. The Falcon approaches Takadana, mainly Maz Kanata, Lupita Nyong'o's Pirate Haven. and en- uh, Entering uh, the watering hole, Ma- Maz shouts, Han Solo. Uh, what an entrance for her, right? <laughs> yeah. Knowing Han needs something, they get right uh, to brass tacks. I also wanted to take a note, the song that they enter on, like uh, Ojaba or whatever it's called, that was written by Lin Manuel Miranda and oh, really? Dan Abrams yeah
1: oh that's cool i didn't know that at all yeah
0: they performed it outside of like the hamilton theater
1: that's cool i like yeah. that
0: yeah it isn't long before spies of the resistance and first order alert their people on star destroyer on the star destroyer kylo speaks to his grandfather's burnt helmet vowing to finish his dark work which i debated making a longer segment of this because this is like really cool, you know, seeing Vader's burnt helmet and seeing Kylo's obsession with his grandfather. But
1: there's a um a well, lot of it. yeah backstory right. here that I feel like um I I would love to have seen just like um I don't know <clears throat> less is more a lot of the time and I I don't know. Part of me like would love to see just even a snippet or a montage of young Kylo Ren or young Ben Solo.
0: It kind of reminds me of like a Shakespearean right. thing, where, like, uh, oh like, yeah, for sure, specifically like Hamlet and... Horatio skull, like de-
1: absolutely. And this but is also like the crux of Kylo's character.
0: For this movie, yes. Yeah. Uh, this is the genesis of it. Yeah. Which, you can argue. Ryan kind of drops it because his point in the next one is like let the past die, but then it comes back again and so (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah anyway Maz cannot help but laugh at the fact that Han is right back in the thick of it Finn letting fear consume him emphasizes the necessity of running away from the First Order, not fighting it. Rey confronts Finn over his decision to flee and the truth comes out from the darkness of the basement, Ray hears the crying of a child. The origins from Luke's lightsaber stowed away in a box. The scene uh, prior to the montage, just the setup of it and like the design of it. Like this is the first time we see a wooden box in all of Star Wars. It just has like a very Harry Potter feel to me. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, it's good. It's good mythology.
0: As soon as she touches it. A force vision crashes before her. Visions of the past, slaughter, her, uh, her own abandonment, and Jedi voices from those long gone. When Rey comes to it, Maz tells her the hard truth. Her family is never coming back to Jakku. I also wanted to go back to the montage before we keep going. Because that was like pretty cool stuff. And it's, Disney yeah. went to, I just wanted to make a note, Disney went to extensive lengths. Like, really extensive lengths to get alec guinness's character to say the word ray they like jumbled shit together they spent like days on like getting it for some reason they also yeah. brought ewan mcgregor You
1: mcgregor there's something about they say something about the line where your first steps and then you can hear yeah. ewan McGregor's you mcgregor's voice
0: um alec guinness go ray yeah and then, uh ewan goes these are your first steps
1: Yeah, it's a scene that felt like an exposition dump and being like, "Here's who Ray was," but instead of like doing it in a tacky way, they have like it's in a montage that's just ambiguous enough that you know her past, and Maz like confirms it in like a just a simple way because it's really just her motivation is her family, her parents, and that's why fans for so long were like, "Oh, Ray's parents gotta be, they have to be someone famous, they have to be someone well known," but as we know, that gets thwarted in the next movie.
0: <laughs> and then unthwarted. When Ray comes to it, maz tells her the hard truth: her family is never coming back to Jakku. Her future lies with Luke, with the light. Like Finn, Ray tries to flee from her burden. On Starkiller Base, General Hux gives his fascist speech, which is literally like as Most, minimal as I could say. It. It's just, just
1: straight up Nazi dialogue.
0: It's like beyond they're just the dialogue. Just... <laughs> this regime which acquiesces to disorder <laughs> like jesus christ it's um,
1: really good I, I feel it
0: now again i don't want it's... to get ahead of ourselves here about and... the last jedi but rumor is that ryan johnson saw like this mo- well, obviously ryan johnson saw the movie before a lot of people because he had to go ahead and write the sequel but he watched like this sequence and was like, "This guy is so over the top; it can't help but be comedic in the ne- in like my movie, you know." Yeah. So that's yeah. where it kind of went. That and more bushy eyebrows. Uh, the weapon is fired because, of course, there's another Death Star. Uh, the weapon is fired, and Hosnian Prime, the New Republic capital, is eradicated. I want to make a note of that. Very important. The New Republic. Like, the planets that are blown up, that is Hosnian Prime. That, at that particular moment, is where the Galactic Senate is. They literally blew up the entire governmental system of the galaxy. Um, I feel like they don't focus on that enough. They don't. That's why I'm making it very clear. Like, the government is gone. That's why in episode 8, they're so hellbent on defeating the Resistance, and why are they easily are conquering worlds, because there's literally no one to stop them except the Resistance, when the Resistance isn't even part of the New Republic. We'll get into that at a different date, though. Um, the galaxy watches in horror as the red beams fly over their planets. This pushes Finn back into the fight.
1: The First Order descends on uh, Tecadana. Preparing for the invasion, Maz gifts the lightsaber to Finn. In a, pa- in a panic, Rey runs into the forest. Kylo pursues Han, Chewie, and Finn, using the lightsaber, enter the battle. The tides uh, turn when the resistance, led by a very much alive Poe, fly in. Though he cannot take BB-8, Kylo takes Rey.
0: Yeah um I, I truncated the battle there obviously there's a lot more but
1: my f- favorite part of this of course this scene is uh the tra- is the traitor the stormtrooper
0: no nah, my favorite part is the shot of the x-wings coming in on the planet with the sun behind them it's gorgeous
1: oh it, it's, it's so good this whole scene it, is phenomenal.
0: that was like straight out of like apocalypse now though where the, they literally ripped that off of the helicopters
1: it's so cool. I, I agree. It's, it's a great shot. Um, okay. And when it My comes good? to
0: traitor, yeah, and when it comes to traitor, the best is obviously Kylo Ren literally shouting traitor! Oh,
1: yeah. We'll get I just love the, um, the yeah, 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 of course. Um, the First Order has fled. The Resistance Command vessel has landed with General Leia, the late Carrie Fisher, and a red arm c C-3PO, Anthony Daniels. Husband and wife reunite momentarily before flying to Dakar,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: BB-8 Finn and Poe have a heartfelt reunion in which Finn is gifted a jacket Finn is rushed to speak with Leia Finn wanting to find Rey Leia wanting all the information Finn can give the incomplete map is still not enough to find Luke in a heartfelt but exposition heavy conversation Leia implores Han to find their son
0: I... we need to talk about this for a minute I don't mean to be mean
1: no there's no way around it
0: but this conversation is one it's trash it, it like so exposition heavy dump and i again I, I i hate being mean especially to carrie fisher who whom i love but her acting in the scene is really not great and i truly blame jj abrams for it because in the last jedi she is phenomenal I mean
1: that out of all um no i was saying out of with all due respect i i agree with you like you're saying you're saying it out of respect
0: yeah which is part of the reason part of the reason why it doesn't work again in the rise of skywalker is because you're using dialogue from episode seven and it's just like i don't know i anyway we could focus Uh, less um, on the acting and more on the conversation the conversation It's just literally blatant exposition of what happened in the last thirty years, and people and like them easily just like resolving their issues, like the way. Yeah, are you kidding me? The the way is essentially a runaway father. Okay, like he abandoned Leia and and uh, Ben, and you're just like, oh yeah, I understand. You're a rogue. Like what? The way
1: I see it is, they knew they were they were self aware about the actors. The original trio, um, not just not being not just being in this not in the spotlight, like they're no longer the central characters, but they're also older. So, I think my in my imagination, I i, I can only imagine they had Carrie Fisher for maybe one or two days shooting. Like, well, I, she was there i for maybe, longer,
0: but I, I get what you're saying. It
1: feels that way. Ray awakens strapped to a table with Kylo watching in the corner, Very the central. mask comes off, and the entire. The interrogation begins very sexual. And Kylo extracts from Rey's mind here. her loneliness.
0: Sorry, one note. I, I the scene always cracks me up when he takes off the mask and his hair is like perfect. And I'm like, oh, get the man. fuck out of here. In the galaxy I, so far away, they must have perfect moose or something to put in your hair. It looks just know, ridiculous.
1: This is the new uh what this is the new first order. This is come on, man. They've upgraded since the Empire. They got barbers and hairdressers on the ships now. And I do like the mind extraction. That's good. That's new. It's, I remember seeing that. In, yeah. I think this is the first time we really see it, right? Uh, or the first time I guess we really uh, see it in depth.
0: Well, in A New Hope, we see a mind-probing droid, and we see um, Vader is about to interrogate Leia, but we don't see the interrogation actually take place.
1: As Kylo pushes deeper into Rey's mind, she resists and repeals. Reading Kylo's mind, she says, you're afraid that you will never be as strong as Darth Vader. Snoke is aghast to hear that a scavenger could resist Kylo's probing. <laughs> aghast, to say the least. Um, dominant, a dominant yet fearful, Kylo pushes back, warning. She's strong with the Force, untrained but stronger than she knows. Just then, Hux enters to bury Kylo's decision-making. Once the weapon is fully loaded, Hux is to fire on the Resistance base. In the cell, Rey uses a Jedi mind, t- mind trick to get a stormtrooper, <laughs> Daniel Gregg. Great Easter egg, uh, to re- to uh, release her. Upon finding an empty, not Easter egg like a cameo, but yeah, you know, yeah, it's a cameo. get a stormtrooper uh, to release her. Upon finding an empty room, Kylo destroys everything in front of him. The weapon charges.
0: I love that uh, sequence too, by the way. When like he's just destroying everything in the room, and two stormtroopers start walking that way, they hear it and walk away. They're like, nope, uh, nope. Okay, they're okay.
1: uh. We've talked about humor injected into Star Wars uh, for both better or worse and like where it works and it doesn't and it's, it's like it's forced humor but it actually is genuinely, it's genuinely comical uh, in this scene so. (laughs) Um, On Dakar, the Resistance planes their next move. Finn will go to the planet to bring down the shield so the fleet can blow up the base. Before heading out, Leia and Han hug. How precious.
0: To get onto the base, Han pulls out of light speed on the planet. The plan immediately hits a snag. Finn was on the sanitation duty. He plans to let the force guide them. Angrily, Han retorts, That's not how the force works, you dumb <laughs> idiot. Uh, they enter the base, guns a blazing. They take Phasma hostage to take down the shields, which she does very easily, very, very easily.
1: Way too easily.
0: The X-Wings are sent in and the assault commences. The search for Rey does not take long. She is excited and humbled that her friends came for her. The gang has a new mission. Set bombs so the X-Wings have an easier assault. As the charges are being set, Kylo enters. Han calls out to his son. Ben! The mask comes off and father and son look each other in the face. Han tries to talk reason, but Kylo believes it is too late. As he tears up, uh, trickles of Ben Solo seep through. Quote, I am being torn apart. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Can you help me? Kylo unbelts his saber and Han tries to take it and, struggle, and a struggle ensues. The sunlight goes out and the crimson saber shoots through Han. In his dying moments, Han holds his son's face and falls down the shaft. Leia, sensing Han's death, sits talk about han's death for a minute one um, let's talk about the comedic aspect and then we could focus on like the real aspect here just i find it really funny that harrison ford had been trying so hard to get out of star wars for years and this was how much he did not want to come back he was stabbed through the heart falls down a shaft on a planet that blows up no chance <laughs> to bring him back but then ultimately he does come back Um, but then on the more serious note uh, this is hard for kylo to come back from and in the rise of skywalker it's kind of like really are we saying this guy's a good guy now like that's why han came back for episode nine because we needed han's approval for him to come back to the light and i don't know if i believe it to be honest
1: it sounds like something that like it's a great point you just said it's like 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 it's a hard point to come back from like you're trying to prove that this this character who's clearly teetering on his like wanting to be evil and yet he murders his father
0: verbiage too because he definitely is teetering from a perspective from a film perspective we yeah. all know what's going to happen the moment that Han and Kylo were on that bridge, like with oh, no guardrails. By the way, br-
1: bridges don't bridges don't end well. Uh, yeah, for Star Wars, we
0: know what's going to happen. But in Kylo's mind, I really don't think he knows what he's going to do in that moment.
1: No, it's it's almost like he's acting out of emotion. Like he clearly doesn't want to do it, but he knows that this is the step. He literally says the line. He says, "I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I, I have the strength. I don't know if I have the strength to do it."
0: Well, what's um, interesting about Kylo Ren? and what makes him different than Darth Vader and the other jedi we've encountered is uh, every other jedi we met prior to Kylo Ren suffered from trying to keep the darkness out okay but Kylo is the inverse he's torn because he wants to be part of the dark side and he's the light it. just keeps yeah. the light keeps penetrating him and right. he can't seem to break apart from it Right, So it's like the complete flip from every other Jedi we've met.
1: Exactly. And I, I think that's what makes him more aggressive in terms of like, you know, like you said, murdering his father. It's like hard to come back from. It's a, I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting point because you're proving, you're solidifying this character as the main villain. That's the way I see it. Well, the moment that Kylo Ren kills Han Solo is the moment that he becomes the villain of the story. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like
0: Kylo uh, Han is like, th- that's Han Solo. Like let's not, right. Let's not uh, mince words here. That is like Han Solo, one of yeah. the main characters, one of our favorites.
1: Your the audience hate this character even more than they already could.
0: Yeah. Uh, Chewie shrieks and shoots Kylo and ignites the bombs. Ray and Finn try to get back to the Falcon, but are confronted by an enraged, bleeding Kylo. Ray is pushed against a tree. Kylo shouts to Finn, TRAITOR! uh Anakin's saber is ignited. Kylo quickly dip- disposes of Finn, uh, slicing his back, which looked brutal. That was like
1: the choreography. It's again, there's so many production aspects, not to tease the final thoughts but it's like the the, the way that the, some of these scenes are done, even the choreography, the way that I don't know, everything just feels a little more gritty. And not gritty, it just feels more like that's slicey, you know, like you said, like you can feel it. Like it's just it's yeah. a lot
0: well i'll give credit where credit's due this is a good lightsaber fight because you also have to look at the progression of the timeline you know you're dealing with the prequels where you're in the height of both the sith and jedi like they are skilled duelists spending like day and night training doing it then you get to episodes like the original trilogy where vader obviously can't move he doesn't have the ability to move the way like he used to Mm -hmm. (laughs) when he was anakin he can't do the flips and shit that he used to do of course but luke is also not like a skilled duelist in terms of like prequel era
1: correct yeah
0: and now you're dealing with a generation that is twice removed from the height of the jedi power so their lightsaber lightsaber skills are clearly just like Slashing at each other. There's no form to it. They're not studying form. I don't. It's. Think, yeah, I don't think Snoke is up there teaching Kylo. Yeah, you do strike A, strike B. You know, like that's no. Not how it's and gonna work.
1: I think that's a very interesting point because I remember when the Force Awakens came out, I heard someone say it was a very naive complaint. They're like, "Oh, uh, there wasn't enough lightsaber battles. Like, oh, the lightsaber battle sucked because it wasn't like whatever." Because. But I think when you're looking at it from a story perspective, as far as how the Jedi are trained and how even the Sith are trained, when you look at the prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy, you see how far even the art of combat has fallen. You know what I mean?
0: I also want to make it very clear. At this point, the Sith are gone. Kylo is not a Sith. He is a dark side user, but he is not a Sith. I just want to be... You know, no of course i, but I don't want this... the trolls coming at us for some no time.
1: no no <laughs> <laughs> no i can i can hear them in their caves you know i can but hear the type I, I can hear the right. bridge the bridges are rattling as we speak you know but um i think i mean like w- what i mean is like the jedi and the sith and the prequels like they were so like doing like you said doing backflips and shit and it's like kind of like that's part of like how they fought like it was very like it was, they were like acrobats where now these are just these are basically like two kids like you said a generation twice removed that they're just trying their best to just, like, kill each other, you know?
0: Yeah, they're just, like, slashing at each other, seeing what sticks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kylo calls for the saber, but it flies past his head and into the hands of Rey. The music swells and the saber is ignited. Now, I just want to make a note here. When they were at... Uh, Mark Hamill as has said in later interviews, when he was at the table read for The Force Awakens, obviously he didn't have like he's sitting there waiting for Luke and he thought this is where Luke comes in. He, was, he thought Luke was going to get Anakin's old lightsaber, and he was going <laughs> to fight Kylo. <laughs> but nope. Um, Poe begins his assault on Starkiller Base. He enters the isolator and blows it. As the planet implodes, Kylo and Rey clash in a raw and brutal duel. In classic dark side manner, Kylo offers to teach Rey in the ways of the Force. Reminded of the force, Ray closes her eyes and feels the light. The tide turns as Ray pins Kylo down. The ground beneath them cracks. Hux is ordered to get Kylo and abandon the base. Ray and Finn are saved by Chewie, now captain of the Millennium Falcon.
1: R.I.P. There is a celebration of Dakar, but Leia, understanding what was lost, hugs Ray. Re- hugs in this moment, R2D2 wakes up from his long slumber. I don't know if we made a mention of it earlier that R2D2 has been out of commission. I guess he's been a, like a that he hasn't. He's, he's been asleep.
0: asleep since Luke left.
1: Yeah. Um, so now he map to Luke is finally complete. Ray says a, a sorrowful goodbye to Finn, who is unconscious in the medical bed.
0: The he resistance... kissed his forehead, which means there he's in the friend zone.
1: He is in the. Once you're kissed on the forehead, you are 100 in the friend zone. <laughs> the, the resistance cheers as the Falcon begins its journey to. I thought that's <laughs> I thought it said at you <laughs> I was like, no, I'm sorry. I know it's not Act Um I was going to say that's a fairy. Mm, the resistance cheers as the Falcon begins its journey to Act ak, Act Two. Act Two. As we are you know logically moving on to act two of the story soon so it's a very i don't know if it's a very punny kind boo. of um,
0: <laughs> boo.
1: on the island ray begins her ascent on top of the island she finds luke looking out into the distance he uh she pulls out his weapon his father's weapon he removes his cloak you know he gives that look with remorse and consternation luke good word luke looks On to the weapon. The music swells. The end.
0: My God. (laughs) I remember being in a theater and the music started and everyone was like, oh! Part of JJ,
1: and just let me know if it delays, but part of JJ's, his greatest strength and ultimately his biggest weakness is the ability to tease audiences. And I just remember it's like, you see Luke and you're like, and I, I just, I knew it. I didn't want to admit it, but I knew it in the theater. I'm like, it's literally about to end. And it and it did. And it's a ballsy move, but like it's frustrating, but like that's what makes it work. And that ultimately I'll, and I'll we're not gonna do final. Well, we'll do final after everything, but that's ultimately what makes a lot of this movie work is the anticipation around all these big moments that like we could never see coming. So anyway.
0: So for Canon Corner, lots to cover, lots to cover. It's like 30 years of stuff here. All right. Uh but this week, let's just focus on one particular thing. Let's focus on the Empire, because clearly the First Order emerged. So how did that happen? How did that happen? So the destruction of Death Star Number 2 and the Emperor was not the end of the Galactic Civil War, contrary to what people believed. It just put everyone on kind of a more equal playing field. Uh, the Empire's strength was still out there, but with the Emperor gone, it completely fractured because there was no loyalty to anything but the Emperor himself. Masamita, who, if you remember from the Star Wars prequels, he's the blue guy with the horns. He tried to take over as the Emperor on Coruscant, but the Empire was, you know, for lack of a better word, they, they were very, very racist. What so is your like, uh,
1: source for all this? For this uh, specific bit, you're saying, is this a book? Is this a comic? Is the it...
0: aftermath the aftermath books?
1: Okay, keep going.
0: Um, he tried to take over, but like I said, the Empire had a race issue, so they're not taking orders from this alien weirdo. Like fuck you, you blue guy. Um, they. Uh, but on and then on top of it, other Moths around the galaxy cracked down on their system and declared so themselves emperor in some regards. Some of them cracked down so hard that they lied about the emperor being alive, and that the footage of the second Death Star blowing up was just fabricated. That, that's <laughs> fake news. <laughs> uh, the Moff on the home, like on Kashyyyk, was very aggressive because he wanted to maintain the weaponry output of the Empire and like pushed the Wookiees harder than uh, they otherwise were, which they were pushed pretty hard. But the main operation was given to a man named Gallius Rax, who was found on Jakku by the Emperor on his secret lab in his secret lab. Now, it's no secret that the Emperor loved to play with the force and with science, and he was building a base on Jakku where he could do such a thing. And this little child, Gallius Rax, came in and found it. And rather than kill him, the Emperor decided to be merciful and raise the child for Operation Cinder. Wow. Operation Cinder was the contingency plan for if the Emperor were to ever die. Because, again, the my, my guy Sheev thinks 20 <laughs> steps ahead here. My man. My man, Sheevy. <laughs> now, he taught Gallius Rax a very important lesson in the star wars version of chess i don't remember the name of their version but he said if the king falls then the whole board has to be wiped away everything both sides (laughs) so his a plan was to destroy mutually assured destruction for everyone including the remains of his empire because he said what good is an empire if there is no emperor i am the emperor so Gallius Rax was tasked with not only destroying the Rebellion, but also leading to the implosion of the Empire and all the worlds that it inhabited. Numerous weapons were sent out to planets with the pure goal of annihilation. They wiped out more planets during Operation Cinder than when either Death Star was around. Literally went to planets just to wipe them out uh the emperor also sent out like little droids with his face on them to commanders of uh star destroyers and moths with like a with a message saying like uh i forget the exact verbiage but resistance rebellion these are concepts that cannot be allowed to uh, persist you are but one of many tools by which these ideals will be wiped away Heed my messenger, Gallius Rax. He will show you the way. Like, some sick shit. The ultimate goal (laughs) was to wipe out the older generation of the Empire who failed the Emperor and bring the newer generation, the kids of the Empire, into the Unknown Regions, which is where we now know the Emperor was. He was in the Unknown region. So I assume they went on to become the final order, say the last battle of the new of the Galactic Civil War, where the plan with the total annihilation was supposed to take place was at that laboratory on Jakku. It housed a weapon that was powerful enough to destroy both both sides of the war. Ultimately, it did not go down because of uh, Ma... uh, I don't remember if she was a moth or if she was a uh, a Grand Admiral, but Ray Sloan stopped the annihilation on Jakku and then took the new generation of the Empire into the Unknown Regions with Brendel Hux, which which is General Hux's father, whom he later had killed with the help of Captain Phasma, but that's a different story. Um, Uh,
1: was this all written prior to the force awakens or was this like a companion piece that came out like when the force awakens came out
0: the first aftermath was a companion piece with or it came out like a month i think it came out on force friday which was like september of 2015 so like a couple months before the force awakens dropped and then there was a second book that came out after and then a third book that came after that they're actually pretty good
1: so no that, oh, it's fascinating history i just didn't and know if and you can I... also
0: learn more about operation cinder and see how brutal it was by playing battlefront 2 because that's the um, that's the story mode of battlefront 2 you're iden versio who is tasked with with operation cinder and ultimately she can't do it because of how just destructive and brutal and disgusting it was anyway that's where we are uh,
1: um very interesting we will
0: get into the resistance and how interesting that is
1: more nerd lore um okay uh so as always we have our awards
0: cool do you want to start
1: yes as always we have most iconic moment clunkiest dialogue the john williams award best creature slash droid design the standout character and of course the best use of the force um most iconic moment I, I gotta say it's ray catching the lightsaber i don't know if it's just the way the scene is done the the music and all of it the like color you, is
0: also amazing the, with it, the, the whole
1: yes the whole movie's building to it but that moment is like i don't know like it's, it's definitely john williams music definitely helps but like that swishes past and she catches it like you said it's like the blue lighting and it's just like when the music comes and she like ignites it like it's like i have to, it's not like i'm holding my tears but like i get such goosebumps like it's such a it's such a, a turning point you know so yeah i don't know I, um, I love it
0: i have two answers for this um the first one is han and chewy entering the falcon and saying chewy we're home love it but that was kind of spoiled in the trailer yeah yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, i'm not saying it wasn't any less of a cool moment I'm just saying it was in the trailer so I was expecting it but my actual answer is probably when Ray holds the lightsaber out to Luke because I remember leaving the theater and being like holy shit like yeah. just that look of, of like I don't make me do this <laughs> like yeah, yeah, don't make me do this I love it the clunkiest dialogue I think I said my piece on it already it's the conversation between Han and Leia on Dakar it's very on the nose very like exposition heavy and way too emotionless for such an emotional scene that's that's my whole there it is um that's
1: my pick as well i think that what i'll say about dialogue in general is they kind of do with this they kind of did with empire strikes back it's different but like they do star warsy kind of dialogue that's like clunky where it works like all the like it's like, if it's corny, they make jokes about it. And they're way more self-aware and meta with this. Um, like, even, even like, the first line from Poe, like, who's going to talk first? I'm going to talk first. Like, it's funny. but Like, it's, like, it it it's aware when it's clunky, but then it's, like, but it's good. It's got a good balance of the Star Wars-y dialogue. Like, I made the note of, like, Ray saying, like, I didn't know there was this much green in the whole galaxy, but she lived on a desert planet. So it's really, like, I don't think it's, it, like... That's
0: not funny to me. To me, that's, like... That's heartbreaking. That's like yeah, oh it's sad.
1: God. Like, but it's that's my my point is like it's not. It feels like it could be clunky, but like they play it off in a genuine way. Like she's is becoming an adult, and she's never seen like that much, you know, green. And anyway, um, but the speech between Han and Leia is just like I was saying. I think just they knew the actors were older, and they were in the worst spot. So they're like, fuck it, let's just like put a really really important scene of dialogue here, even though you don't really feel it. It's just. I don't know it just feels like two actors in a stage play that like I don't know it's it's
0: it's like two actors in a stage play who like just don't really care about acting right now but (laughs) like it's like
1: yeah it's like it's like as if two broad two traditional Broadway actors from like the 70s or 80s did a comeback and like they're just like kind of old, and they're not really into it. And the audience isn't really into it, but they want to do it as like payoff for the fans.
0: It's yeah. Anyway, um, on <laughs> to the next one, John Williams Award. Go no
1: disrespect. No disrespect, of course, to uh the late Carrie Fisher, as we said. Um, the John Williams Award. I'll say I my runner up is Ray's theme, which is I think, ju- I think it's I think it's Ray's. Yeah, it is Ray's theme. Um, everything about the little chimes he does, like the little I don't know what. Inst- he's using it's it almost sounds like um um uh, not like a marimba it's like a, it's like you there's almost like the, li- the way he does the chimes and then he's got the little pipe flute while she's sliding down like i i don't know you it really feels original and unique yeah, that's um a that's a that's great not,
0: that's up there for me too it's not my answer but
1: you. my actual answer is the uh jedi steps and finale that build up Oh, my God. Like, talking about her going up steps while building anticipation, it's a very meta moment. That is my like, answer
0: as well, actually. Oh,
1: so I'll let you take it from here.
0: No, I mean...
1: It's so good.
0: I keep going with what you were saying, because well, it's I just, completely agree with what you were saying.
1: Like, it's just ironic. Like, she's going up steps. You know Mark Hamill's in the movie. You know it's going to be Luke. And you're just, you feel it. And the way they just build it with that strings. It's like, John Williams. we've talked about him so many times this... This season, the series, or whatever we're doing on Star Wars, that John Williams' music guides emotion. And like, he really, like, that music is probably some of the best Star Wars music from Star Wars. In I I don't know, like, it just feels original in that wholly unique, in that unique way. Um, Yeah,
0: I remember when the album came out for this, and I just listened to that song constantly.
1: But it still gives me chills. I also wanted
0: to note. Kylo Ren's theme that's a great one
1: yes that is good and the way that he they do a really good job of Kylo Ren's theme because all they need to play is just the few notes that okay. you know bam, 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 and you just know and you don't need to hear anything else so you're like oh this is bad it's kind of like what they did with the um, uh, uh, Imperial March obviously this is a much more toned down simple version
0: it is called a light kind of motif I
1: mean anyway, I think I'm freezing again but a light <laughs>
0: Um, um so i also wanted to note one more the march of the resistance also very good the oh that is a great that's very
1: that's that now you mentioned it that's probably the most john williams-esque piece of music in this movie
0: it's just nice that like we got an imperial march now we're getting a resistance march we're getting like the rebels are getting a theme of their own
1: that's really that's a really good point
0: um best creature design i think is pretty obvious it has to to be be bb8
1: there's nothing else it's so good and the way that they did
0: it like when the real bb8 came out on stage at star wars celebration i was like holy shit like how did you do this that's
1: the fact that they could do like a remote control and they could turn the head it's got so much life and this is the exact kind of example that if you had done cgi for a character like this it would have completely fallen flat
0: i hold on two seconds
1: i i know that there are action scenes where bbh rolling fast and he is cgi okay
0: yeah i just wanted to make one note the voice, voice actors are bill Hader, bill Hader and, Hader uh, and ben ben schwartz, uh ben
1: schwartz ben schwartz
0: it's like bill Hader is even like jj really did not have to give me credit for the voice of that because he just makes them weird. Or like yeah he, like it, him and schwartzman literally just like uh played for a couple days with sounds like
1: it's oh om- it's almost like JJ wanted to throw more things at the audience to get them excited
0: <laughs> yeah well Bill Hader's awesome
1: um, of course so
0: is Ben um Sonic the Hedgehog come on
1: I Who, heard it was good actually out? but I didn't stand character. my stand I mean so um these i i do i will say just as a, a build up to this i think that the new characters are all great i think that the potential for almost all these characters is wasted by the time we finish this trilogy but um i do love i i love ray it's a good strong female character way i know that like times we've said it about leia when we talked about return of the jedi is like females have not been in this big spotlight in star wars like yeah. i mean like like Leia was a is a great character, and then by the time you get to Return of the Jedi, we talked about how like different she is, and then whatever. So to see Ray as like a female character, is ve- a strong female character, and Daisy Ridley's a great actress. Same thing with John Boyega. Like you know you have a good, um, like a a, a person of color. You know what I mean? Of you know, a good a strong uh, black man. Like, he's a good actor. You know what I mean? That's so that's part know.
0: of my problem. Like not with this movie, but when we get to by the time we get to the Rise of Skywalker, I'm like. He was such a good, strong character in Finn and he just There's becomes t- like a yelling machine. He's
1: he's a great Finn is a great character in this movie, and Poe is a great character because he feels like Han in that playful, like cowboy kind of way, but he's also different because he makes mistakes and stuff. He's not as smooth and he's I don't know, like the characters are so he's good. Loyal. I, yeah. I just, I, it's just hard to like, I, for all this movies for all the flaws that anyone wants to say about this movie, the characters are, the new characters are, I think are wonderful. So with that, uh, my standout character has to be um, Kylo Ren. I think this is the only one, I mean, his character development of course grows even more in the next movie, but the next movie, I think I have someone else in mind, but anyway, um, but Kylo Ren is a very simple character. Like we were talking about him being embracing the darkness and fighting off the light Um, i
0: disagree i think he's the most complicated character in this entire movie and maybe that's because of the writing maybe that's because adam driver brought his a-game to this mm -hmm. movie but he clearly has more of an arc and more of an emotional uh, an emotional impact in this movie than probably anyone else
1: yeah i mean it's like it's a simple it's simple in the way that they took a character who's teetering between good and evil, and they kind of flip flop, like what you were saying about the evil characters from the f- former trilogy. Um, and it's funny because people complain about Kylo Ren that he's like uh, he's whiny and he's got he's, he's too a, a, a uh, whatever, character. but like I think that's part of what makes his character interesting because he's really he's he's young, he's a, basically a kid, and so he's got these moments where he lashes out and he's angry and he he does his lightsaber thrashing thing. Um,
0: we'll get to it next week, but that's uh, what makes. Snokes line so cutting in the next movie. You're just a child. I love it. Mask, you know? Like that's what you are. And I just yeah. To make that at the you know, that's base level, but to make that an actual character is very impressive.
1: Yeah. I think that I think Adam
0: Driver's going places.
1: That that Adam Driver think he's think he's going somewhere. So what is your tell the tell the folks at home your standout character? Uh,
0: mine was also Kylo Ren, but uh just funnily i guess i could say luke because at the end of the day like he's meant to stand out he's the MacGuffin of the movie so like the whole point of his character in this movie is to stand out it's like oh we finally got to him yeah you know kylo is really the answer
1: so i always think of our wade for the people at home or car co- coworker and friend, friend uh it would, how Wade always harps them the look he's always he was always mocking out that, that dramatic look how he gives like the big sigh and he would always like laugh about it I always think of him when I see that face because he just like he gives it at all and just like a deep sigh and then it's over he has no dialogue
0: well that was the brilliance of the end of the movie though you are given a look where you're like I don't know what you're thinking at all because you can read into it and go oh my god he's disappointed that he got found. Yeah, yeah he looks heavy and it's just like the burden in his back on me. Or like, you know, there's so know. many ways to read it. I-,
1: I love it. I think it's a great spot to end, but
0: anyway, uh best use of the force. I went with um Kylo holding the blaster bolt. I know it's a small one, but to me that was like holy shit. Like, oh, we talked about it. Know. It's so
1: good. It's such a cool moment. Um I went with the um, it's kind of the mind reading the The and just trying i thought it was cool because it was different because you're like you feel like the force is like really aggressive you feel like the force is really being used in like a a hurtful way it's like i mean i know that it's like it's been just i don't know it's just like you you can feel i mean the the sound effects that he uses is like it's like a ripping sound and like the characters are just kind of held in these spots it feels very um aggressive and i just love that he's they're just kind of trying to go deep into it we never really saw it to that caliber so i love it yeah um
0: So then let's move into final thoughts. Do you want to start?
1: Two minutes, go. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, and I really, I'm so bad at, go, at saying I'm going to be like, say, be short and then I go on these rants. So I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to try and keep this simple.
0: You got three words, go.
1: Best blockbuster ever.
0: <laughs> That's no. good.
1: So I'll take the, that truncated thing and I'll say basically, When I saw this movie, I literally was I was like, it was like I was buzzed. Like I was like, it was a contact tie. Like I saw it and I was like, this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Star Wars is back. Star Yeah. And then I each time I watched it, it like the, the truth was kind of coming out a little more. Is that like you're basically taking the bare bone of a new hope and repackaging it for a new audience, which is both its greatest strength in roping in brand new fans, and its greatest weakness in disappointing old fans. So this movie is exists in a kind of a, a weird, happy medium that's not as happy as it could be. Um, that said, I think that when I say it was a like best blockbuster ever is a is a, I'm obviously over exaggerating, but I think as far as an individual film, what JJ does with this scene by scene the action beats the story the emotional arcs like it is a phenomenal block blockbuster i think objectively like an incredible like on the same scale as like the avengers and like it is like like it is just so enormous in and successful in what it gets right in terms of being a great blockbuster jj
0: should have stopped here honestly 100% with Star Wars. In 100%. regards to Star Wars, he should have stopped here. Not just because of not I mean, this isn't just an attack on the Rise of Skywalker, but if he had ended here, he would have walked away with like a big W and people would have just been like, This is the guy who brought back Star Wars. Of course. But um, instead he can't he came back and gave us a not so good finale. But something you noted earlier is this plays <laughs> to JJ's strengths. What is he best at? He is best at setting things up, which is what he does in every scene in this yeah. movie. And then fans obviously got pissed off by what people chose to pick and choose to continue. But, you know, whatever.
1: JJ um, to... Abrams gave a TED Talk years ago with one of my favorite TED Talks, and he talks about the mystery box. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the I concept, but it. basically... And pulls out his grandfather's mystery box and it's basically like his grandfather gave him a box. The concept is for the audience is he, his grandfather gave him a box and he said like, he I can't open it, or whatever. He says he doesn't know what it's inside and he's still never opened it. And the whole concept is that it's the anticipation about what's in the box. And that's how he, I think that's how he pitched Lost. And, um, I think that J.J. Abrams like is so obsessed with this idea that he's great at literally boxing up an idea and going there is something more to what I'm telling you and he's so incredible at doing that, that like you said it's like when you let him do too much it's like he gives these half assed finales it's why like things like Lost and things like the, the new Star Wars, it's kind of like what they're doing is you're taking an idea, a brilliant idea that J.J. Abrams plans to see for, and they're going like, well, now we have to like figure it out. Now we have to give answers. And ultimately it's their own, it's the demise of the filmmaker who's taking J.J. Abrams ideas and they're, and they're just kind of like saying like, well, it has to equal something. And ultimately it's gonna create disappointment. Yeah. And by bringing J.J. back, you just kind of brought this thing full circle in a way that is ultimately disappointing.
0: I've said this in the past. I don't remember if I've said it on the podcast or not. But JJ is franchise Viagra. Viagra. (laughs) He knows. You said it to me. I love that. He knows how to get to a franchise and prop it up, and you know, get it going for a safe two-hour run. Not, but if it lasts more than four hours, please call your doctor. Um, (laughs) But he knows how to get to the crux. Of what people... like, I'm trying to think of how to word this properly. But he knows how to get the pulse of what makes a franchise good. The bigger problem is he can get the pulse, but he can't see what's inside. Which is ultimately the bigger problem for The Rise of Skywalker. Because in this movie, you don't need to go to the deep you don't need to get into the deep and sweaty because again you're setting shit up but when you get to the rise of skywalker and you're literally trying to just like use the movies that came before as like a template thinking that that understands the depth of what they mean is completely ridiculous because when you watch the rise of skywalker you realize that this man had no real he clearly had no idea what star wars really was
1: no no way he just knew how to give it back to audiences
0: he knew what the he's great at audience like he's good at giving the audience what they think that they or what they want but he doesn't understand at the core what something is about
1: of course because if you look at what you're saying about franchise viagra which is a great like just slang for that because if you look at mission impossible 3 the star trek 2009 reboot and the force awakens what do those three things have in common? They're phenomenal blockbusters that are coming off of a prior film or prior series of films that were either muddled mixed fans didn't like. And so what they did is like, you can say anything you want about any of those movies I just mentioned, but like, they're exciting to watch. He's taking what fans loved about these original franchises, and he's making them exciting for all audiences, even if Fans will complain about those movies. They're very exciting to watch as blockbusters.
0: But then at the end of the day, there's no avoiding that this movie is just a carbon copy of the original. There's percent differences here and there, obviously. Like, you know, we see Snoke. We didn't see the Emperor in the first one, but there is a Death Star. There's a person, there's a lost child from a desert planet.
1: Who meets an old mentor- from the past and then ultimately they die at the hands of a new masked black cloak villain who represents evil and it's like and ultimately this they're fighting against a weapon that destroys other planets like the most frustrating thing about force awakens is that it is so exciting to watch but the the beats of the characters and the stories are just it's we've seen it all before yeah. like it's just re it's just glamorized it's just it's modernized it's just and
0: updated it's, and it's it, it's fun and like you said it's a fun movie but yeah. at the end of the day if I'm gonna watch a Star Wars movie I'm gonna watch you know and I want this story I'd rather just watch a new hope like of course it's it's the same basic movie
1: yeah so unless and, I'm yeah. going
0: in chronological order this is never like my go-to Star Wars movie
1: I will say that's that that it's very interesting what the Force Awakens sets up in, in terms of other franchises and movies because uh, you've seen this a lot lately is that filmmakers will take an original concept and do a sequel, but they're really just repackaging what people know. Um, you know what I mean it's um, uh, my, my, my pick of the, my pick of the week I'll, I'll, well, when we get there I'll, I'll get there. but like it does something very similar to this is. It's just kind of like hey, we're gonna do a sequel be it take place whatever a few years later or 10 years later or 40 years later whatever it is it's a sequel to and like at the end of the day there's only so much original storytelling you can do to rope in all kinds of fans
0: you might you and I might have the same one I don't know I
1: I hope we I hope we do but anyway but Uh, all that to say is
0: let's uh I think we said enough about this movie right
1: yeah it's I, I Yeah, there's nothing more that can be said. I love watching it. It's exciting. But like you said, it's well, just the
0: one more thing that you kind of like touched on that I just want to expand on like, after this movie, there was such like a Star Wars high that everyone was riding for at least another two years. Well,
1: yeah and it ultimately sets up disappointment because when you talk to most fans what we said it during i think it was the um rogue one episode is you hear a lot of fans who either say they hate the sequel trilogy or they only love rogue one uh, the other common answer i hear is that people say oh i saw i liked the force awakens or i i i, I you know i enjoyed the force awakens or I, I liked where they were going with it um they just got a sour taste based on everything that came afterward
0: yeah but, all right so let's go into pick of the weeks what is yours <laughs> Since you so, uh, alluded to
1: it, all right. So I built the anticipation. We got my mystery box. Um, so my pick of the week is the, also the 2015 film uh, Creed.
0: <laughs> my yep. man, you ended,
1: Yeah. All right. So let's, so let's let's have this. Let's make a pick of the week discussion. Uh, I couldn't help this but happens pick it occasionally, guys. This does. The, this has happened a couple times. Way, this way. is great. Like in uh, the same. I think the most. I'm just real. While we're on it, I think the most mind blowing was when we covered um.
0: Oh, Wet Hot mean, American Summer. And we both picked Wet yeah, Hot American Summer. That was a Moonrise Kingdom.
1: <laughs> so wild. Um, but anyway, so I'll just kick it off. But basically, like, I love, I love, and I don't hate Creed at all. I love Creed, and I'm frustrated with Creed for the same reasons that I about The Force Awakens. Although Creed actually works a little better. Because... I was about to
0: say, the reason I picked Creed was because it is a better version, or it does a better job at what The Force Awakens was trying to do.
1: I agree, because the Rocky and Star Wars both fall into this light where, like, they're so praised, and then you watch them, and you're like, okay, but they're, like, campy and a little over the top, like, for their own reasons. Like, I couldn't imagine showing some, a brand new person, like an adult, like Rocky for the first time, unless they're ready for that kind of movie, because it's it was 1976, you know what I mean? It was a totally – I don't know, like, movies were just – Unless they were like oh, there was a very serious filmmaker involved. Like this is Sylvester Stallone, you know, writing, directing, starring in it. It's and it's Rocky's great in its own
0: terms, but it's like very He did not direct the original Rocky. He didn't direct he, he wrote the script? Yeah. That was no. Advilson, something like that. I thought he uh,
1: directed it. Um, no, anyway he, di-
0: he but, directed Rocky uh, for, uh, four or five. I don't know. it uh, might have been Rocky football, Balboa. Um, I don't know. I'll be honest. No, director reason, of The Karate Kid. Well, he... another reason I Here. love Creed is because it kind of made me love the Rocky franchise in general. I was not really a huge fan until Creed. But right. it just like uh, that movie will pump you up. That, and I, like I said, I just think that Coogler does a better job at understanding the franchise that he's mining than J.G. Abrams ever did
1: well what 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 ryan coogler did brilliantly is he took the concept of a of a brand new character who's like the spawn of an old rocky character and they like just they literally just identified who he was they're like this is a broken kid he's had a hard a troubled past and like he's he's like rocky in that way like he struggled but he's got totally different issues going
0: on here's my way of putting it jj stole the template for Star Wars where Coogler stole the heart of what the Rocky franchise was supposed that's, to be. That's,
1: be that's beautiful
0: Like Coogler <laughs> understood the franchise he was working within and understood what made its heart beat where JJ just took the template and said okay let's just change this here change this here we'll make Ray do this and it's like yeah it's cool and what you did was fun I'm not disputing it's fun it's just like hollow on the inside when you get to it but that's, that's a
1: great way of putting it because yeah i just feel like that's i don't know i feel like that was the logical choice yeah was creed <laughs>
0: so i think that kind of concludes this episode uh, that's great is that- it anyway josh where can the good people find you
1: <sighs> y'all can find me on a uh, letterboxd under beesh, it's exactly as it sounds b-e-e-s-h and steven Tell the folks you where they can find you.
0: Find me on Instagram and Letterboxed at uh, Mr. Filmart, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? Hey. And we will see you next week when we get into our non-controversial <laughs> topic of Star Wars Episode Eight. Our the completely
1: neutral conversation about the Last Jedi. It's going to be a doozy.
0: I'm looking forward to it. So we'll see you next time. Man Adios, amigos,
1: and also with you. Yeah, I yeah, made a force be with you. <laughs>